This episode has some bad language, so please keep that in mind. Hi, I'm Tom Melville, and welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode, we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Way back in episode six, we brought you the story of a community fighting to get a drug court, a court which gives some drug offenders the opportunity to avoid prison by getting clean. It's just been announced that after a decades-long campaign, the people of Dubbo are getting their drug court. In Devonport, on Tasmania's northwest coast, the court-mandated diversion program, as it's known, has been giving drug addicts a second chance for a number of years. Sandy Powell is the court reporter for The Advocate. He takes us behind the scenes of the CMD program to see the difference it's making in people's lives. Well, we've made it. Today's a very special day, Mr... I have received a report that recommends that you graduate from the CMD program today. This is not, I imagine, what most people would expect a courtroom to sound like. I can tell you from experience they are typically tense, serious and quiet places. I reviewed your file before coming into court today and it's exemplary. But here in the Devonport Magistrates Court on a Thursday in early 2021, Magistrate Tamara Jago is full of congratulations and enthusiasm. An absolutely remarkable job. I could not be any prouder of you because... And so well she should be, because the man she is speaking to has just completed a program which has helped him take control of his drug addiction, and which means he will no longer have to serve a six-month jail term. We'll call him Stephen. I um, tried to get off the drugs a couple of times prior to getting put on the program, and just, I couldn't seem to do it. And I needed the program to hold me accountable so I had the willpower to be able to do it. Like, I knew I wanted to do it. I just, it's a lot harder when everyone you associate with is on drugs. Since you came onto this program, you have just been extraordinary in terms of your commitment, in terms of your willingness to do the hard work, in terms of your ability to say no to temptation and to have a mindset that you wanted to turn your life around and achieve things for you and your family, and you've just ticked every box. After a nearly 30-year drug addiction, which started when he was just 12 years old, a child, Stephen was back before the court on drug possession charges. Magistrate Jager sentenced him into the court-mandated drug diversion program, which essentially gives criminal offenders the choice between jail or intensive drug rehabilitation. As a single parent of three kids, six months jail was just not an option for Stephen. As yourself, you think you've got control and it's all good, everything's sweet, but in reality, you don't. I'll never go back to them again. Where I am in life now, I've always wanted to be, but never could get there. Where do you think you'd be without the program? Obviously, you would have gone and spent six months in jail instead of uh, being able to help kick a drug habit. I'd still be in the same rut, yeah. I honestly do believe that. The saddest thing of life is that you can get out here, you can get in jail. And until they stop that traffic, you're going to be stuck in that rut. The only way to actually beat that is by having the program. I'm Sandy Powell. And for the last two years, I've reported from the courts of Northwest Tasmania for The Advocate. In this podcast, I'll be sharing Stephen's story and detailing the sometimes surprising ways the CMD program deals compassionately with criminals who suffer from the disease of drug addiction. In the last two years, I bought a caravan, 
me and my kids go away every school holidays. Now to go take the kids away for the school holidays cost me about 390 bucks average. And that's just for the caravan sites, let alone the food and everything else. Being excited at the prospect of taking his kids on a holiday was not something Stephen was able to even afford to think about before the court mandated rehabilitation. His priorities lay elsewhere. I love caravan and my kids do too. They love getting out and away from home. And I just, I never had the opportunity to be able to do that, and I do now. And to me, that's my rewardment for staying off the drugs. Actually afford to give you, give the life that you want to be able to yes. give them, right? Yes. And previously that money would have gone into methamphetamine and yeah. acid. Yeah. I never thought of the money because right. it'll depress me. Like I, I started when I was 12, so, and I'm now 43. So it was a long period of my life, so I don't think of the money because I know it's going to depress me. And, and depression's where a lot of it all originates from anyway. Like, that's when I started. I was in a depression when I first started the drugs. Largely absent throughout his childhood, Stephen and his father never had a good relationship. We didn't talk for eight years. And the last eight years of my dad being alive, he couldn't handle the way I was and I wasn't going to stop it for him. Despite that, after a brief stint in recovery in 2015, Stephen relapsed when he found out his dad had died. Him passing was pretty much one of the first reasons I reverted back to the drug scene. Not blaming him, of course, it was just the hurt. It was the easiest way to deal with the the pain. So I I did. It was something my mum said that actually pulled me in line a fair bit, and that's when I decided I really wanted to give up the drugs again, which was a way along the lines of, um, I always used to say I wanted to ruin my dad's last name, to hurt him. And she turned around to me and she said, well, you've always said you wanted to ruin your dad's last name. Well, he's dead now and it's not his name no more, it's only yours. And I thought, well, fuck, I better fix this then, but not. So for a lot of our clients, they have a trauma background that they've never been addressed or they seek to address it themselves through drug use. Anna Winter is a team leader for the CMD program employed by the Department of Justice. She says CMD seeks to address the underlying cause of offending. The magistrate works with the client and seeks to understand their story and where they come from and Rather than seek to punish them, it's, you know, seeking to understand and put into place plans to address what's going on. So it's not prosecutions and their legal counsels facing off, for want of a better word, against each other. It's a group scenario. So all of the parties in the court are working together for the best outcome. I interviewed Magistrate Jacob, who you heard in the court recording earlier. She said that work Anna mentioned must start with a program participant themselves. You've got to be giving this program your all if you want to stay on this program, and if you don't, you will be going to jail. Low-level criminal offenders can be sentenced into the program if their crimes have a direct connection to their addiction. They are then subject to rigorous monitoring throughout the program, which they have up to two years to complete. They're required to attend court-mandated drug diversion offices weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, for, you know, counselling, and and they're subject to several urinalysis a week. Now, those urinalysis, for obvious reasons, are done randomly. The 
way the program works is if people are continuing to use drugs and they're detected through the urinalysis, they accrue what's called sanction days. People can also accrue what's called reward days, which are given if people participate and fully engage in things like drug counselling. If a participant accrues 14 sanction days, it's mandatory that they go and serve those sanction days in custody. Devonport lawyer Kirsten Abercrombie spends a lot of her time in court and knows just how different the approach of the drug court can be and just how successful. It's a therapeutic court, so it means that there's a little bit more latitude to be perhaps a little bit more colloquial. You can champion your client's cause and champion small things much more than in a formal court setting. In a regular plea for someone pleading guilty to any type of matter, normally I wouldn't mention that they're a member of a sports team or that necessarily that they volunteer or that they've worked with child protection to have their children return to them on a weekend or a part-time basis. Normally that kind of thing would afford a small mention, but nothing being championed. Despite the casual court atmosphere, Kirsten says rehabilitation is certainly not the easy way out. I think the community can fall into the trap of seeing rehabilitation as a word that's easily thrown around or it can be portrayed to them as a soft option. CMD is not a soft option. It is an incredibly hard option and it's one that participants of, whether successful or not, I have the utmost admiration for because that program is taxing, it's lengthy, it's a difficult program to complete. The word rehabilitation, I think, is served well by the CMD program. Stephen says he needed to be accountable to the CMD program to keep in line. It's the accountability for me actions, like knowing that there was the jail time hanging over my head and as a sole parent, I can't afford to go to jail because I don't have anyone else to support me with my kids and to take them, so that means that I have to organise temp care or to put them into temp care for the duration of my sanctions and everything. So that was the biggest push behind everything to get me off, like get me through the program is my kids because they're my life now. What really interested me when I was watching Stephen's graduation was the way Magistrate Jago genuinely seemed so proud of him. I was struck by how the mood of the court was one of teamwork and positive affirmation. I asked Stephen if this encouragement motivated him through the program. Yeah, the encouragement was there, their class is your peers. I look at them as my peers. Judge Tamara Jago, I've actually had a lot of dealings with over my life. I had a very violent history quite a lot of assault charges and stuff and I've always been polite and courteous to her but I just have a lot of respect for her. Mm -hmm. She's a straight shooter and I like straight shooters. When I found out that she was a judge it was like oh shit this could go one or two ways here. I had to prove to her straight up that I had no problems with her and it took me a couple months but I did it and then once I'd earned her respect on it all it never stopped. Yeah, and that respect clearly goes both ways now. Yeah, and every court appearance, every month, like she massively praised me up. It was a big thing to hear from, from someone in such a high role that you were doing awesomely and, you know, like Shadowy did respect it.
There's a, a deliberate forming of a professional therapeutic relationship between the magistrate and the participant. This is CMD team leader Anna Winter again. And it takes a little while for the participant usually to come around to that because they're not used to either speaking to the magistrate directly or speaking so openly and honestly about their drug use when usually it's not that way in court. So it's more of a welcoming environment in that they're able to speak about that kind of thing, particularly with prosecutions as well. They openly congratulate our clients, which is has an amazing healing effect as well. The thing that I've noticed uh, particularly is that they, they're clearly not used to praise in any capacity a lot of the time. There's a potentially people who haven't been congratulated on something in a long time, and that clearly means something to them, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So particularly in the court environment, there is no... Usually, if they're standing in front of a magistrate, they're there because they've done something wrong, they've done something illegal, and they're going to get punished for it. In this environment, they may be punished if they do something wrong, but when something goes right and they have those major breakthroughs or they have significant periods of time where they're drug-free, all the parties stand up and say, well done. And that has a major effect on the participants. They often come back and say to us, I've never had that. We present them with certificates when they reach significant milestones. You can see the transformation that that has on people who've come from backgrounds or led a lifestyle for a significant period of time when that hasn't featured at all. Um, so to see that and have that public recognition of their progress is amazing. Magistrate Jago says she tries to celebrate the small gains. Drug addiction is an illness. It is a really, really complicated illness. There is no magic wand. So you can't expect people to go from chronic drug addict who pretty much is in a life that's spiralling out of control to a perfect participant in the program who's never going to return positive urinalysis. That's just completely and utterly unrealistic. So you have to look for the small gains that these people make and you have to always bear in mind that what we're actually trying to do is, if not get them to the ultimate end, we're trying to improve their life along the way. Kirsten says it's the small wins that lead to the bigger victories. So it's about building them up and making them feel like they're supported, like their wins are everyone's wins, because they are. All those little wins will build them towards, we hope, an enjoyable time on the program and, and working towards something that everyone, society included, will benefit from. Despite the encouragement participants get from all sides while on the program, they do, of course, still face the incredible challenge of overcoming a drug addiction. And as Magistrate Jago concedes, there are limited services available to manage the myriad complex issues which exist alongside drug addiction. Sadly, the Northwest Coast has limitations in terms of how many specialised counsellors are available, but the CMD team will do their very best to fit whatever the catalyst for the drug addiction was with a form of counselling or a form of service provider that can actually try and address the originating cause. Does that lack of services inhibit the success of a lot of people on the program? 
Yes, it does, because sometimes the original trauma that's led to the drug addiction is just so complex. They need really, really specialised assistance, and we just don't have it. And sometimes if you can't address the original cause of the drug addiction, then all you're really doing is dealing with the reaction to the original trauma rather than... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So for some people, the trauma has been so enormous that without the specialised assistance, they're never quite going to get there. But, you know, for the main, we can give them enough that even if they don't ultimately successfully graduate from the CMD program they've made gains as an individual. Recovery from drug addiction is hard to maintain, and some participants go through the program more than once. Anna Winter says failed attempts can still provide benefits. When they might not succeed the first time, and by that I mean graduation, they may have picked up little things along the way. They may have had the longest period they've been drug-free for a while, and although they might have returned to drug use, they still have that under their belt. They have those skills that they learnt. So... Next time when they're ready, they can access those again. And we certainly believe that, you know, because people can change, they can come back and give it another go. Maybe, you know, that previous time wasn't the right time in their life, but now they've reached that point where they can fully commit. Stephen's recent graduation was from his second attempt at the program. And though he says he faced psychological challenges too, a significant struggle he reflected on calls to mind the proverb, idle hands are the devil's workshop. The big thing on the program is you've got to preoccupy your time so you're not sitting around thinking about the drugs. That's when I believe a lot of people relapse and end up back on the drugs and then going into for their sanctions and stuff because they've got too much time sitting around. Maybe a voluntary side of things once they're registering clear on the CMD would be a good thing because it preoccupies your time. Being able to go and work somewhere, even if it's unpaid, because you're not allowed to work while you're on the program, at Salvation Army or at one of the food co-ops for the elderly people or something, you know, somewhere where if you get that phone call and you've got to leave at 12 o'clock, then they don't care. That attitude of seeking ways to give back to the community while overcoming a drug addiction could only be a marker of CMD's success. Although CMD is only a sentencing option for lower-level crimes, I asked Kirsten Abercrombie how the outcome compares to prison. The difference between the two is vast. What you have in prison is someone who has been incarcerated often 23 hours out of the day. They are locked up with like-minded people who similarly haven't managed to beat an illicit drug addiction. Often they are released to the same circumstances in which they went in. And so releasing someone after a 12-month prison stint, while I accept that prison is a necessary evil, is something that is not often successful in terms of achieving an end goal of rehabilitation. Magistrate Jago agrees. I was a defence lawyer for a very long time. I spent a lot of time in Risdon Prison and I saw a lot of people serve a lot of time. I'd have to honestly say very few of them came out better people than they went in. Don't get me wrong, sometimes people have to go to jail. The crime they've committed is such that there is no other outcome that's appropriate other than a prison term. 
so if we actually want to improve people's lives and therefore give them the opportunity to break the cycle and therefore improve things for the community, we have to try and give them rehabilitative programs. Kirsten Abercrombie says the whole community benefits from the CMD program. The ones that graduate from the program invariably go on to lead what must be for them much nicer lives. They get their licence back, they can find employment, and this is all defendants that I've represented. The winner really is the community because not only is the community not faced with another person committing these crimes to fund their drug addiction, they're not faced with the inevitable huge cost that comes with locking them up, and they're rewarded by having that person becoming a functioning member of society. During Stephen's graduation, Magistrate Jagger praised his achievements and said they would not have been possible if she had sent him to jail. I think it's a really good story because it just goes to show why this program is so important. If you'd been locked up, none of that would have happened. No, that's right. You would have come out. I'd still be in the same rut. You'd still be in the same rut. I have no doubt you'd probably still be using, you know, your relationship with your kids would still be, you know, characterised by some difficulties. You still wouldn't be earning, you know, your own money through your own business. Nothing much would have changed, but for the fact life had gone on pause for, you know, the months you spent inside. So is there anything that, that you can point to this time around that you felt was different or that you felt made it such that you just knew this time you were going to do it and, and do it really well? I wanted to. It was just that real like desire. The last time I was on the program, I got forced to on the program, where this time I, I wanted to be on the program. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's do it. Get rid of some jail time. Now, a few months down the track from Stephen's graduation, he is trying to run a small mowing business and raise his three children. We still struggle. I'm not working yet because my youngest is ADHD, my second youngest is autistic, and my eldest daughter is just 16 thinks she's 21. But you get that in life, like, you roll with the, the, the ripples. And we, we get there, we, we do quite well. Thanks to Sandy Powell from The Advocate for that story. And that's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. Please take part in our listener survey. The link is in our show notes. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. If you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And if you'd like to share your story, you can email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voiceofrealaustralia. You can follow me on Twitter at tommelville124. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>